Welcome. <laughs> the first Sunday of Advent. Ugly side of Christmas, and I'm wearing an ugly sweater. This is a, I think this may be the first time I've ever worn an ugly sweater. Really what this, this series is about. It's not so much focusing on the sweaters that I'm wearing, but really it's focusing on the fact that sometimes Christmas itself can turn ugly, usually because of attitudes or behaviors, and, and, and it has nothing to do with, with being cool or being, you know, hip or, or whatever. Uh, ugly sweater. My mom, my mom was the queen of ugly sweaters. I sure hope they don't have them in heaven um, because she had, before it was cool, before it was hip, she was, she was into ugly Christmas sweaters. But I hope that this season we'll focus in on, on what can turn Christmas ugly and instead tend, put our attention to, to, to God and the things of God. So our emphasis today, talk less, listen more. There's so much chatter today, isn't there? I mean, did you have to be careful what you said around the Thanksgiving table with your relatives? Sometimes you can't say much, you know, politically, socially, relig- about religion, anything, you know, because they can be very loud in their disagreements. You may not know the, and be able to quote the, the Proverbs 17, but you know it's truth when Solomon said, better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Maybe you experienced that at, 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 at Christmas. Someone once said, families are like fudge. Mostly sweet, but a few nuts. And, and I think, you know, probably my family falls into that category. I heard of one couple that was arguing, arguing, arguing. What they were arguing about was uh, the living will of all things. And they were sitting in their living room, and the man s- said to his wife, Listen, just so you know, I never want to live in a vegetative state dependent upon some machine and getting fluids from a bottle. If that ever happens, just pull the plug. So his wife went up and pulled the plug on the TV and threw out all of his beer. That's what started the argument. That was not a Nazarene family. I think they were Baptists. No, I don't know. That's stupid. People are angrier now than ever, it seems. And it seems like there's always some angst and clash going on. Uh, like, like we've forgotten what James wrote. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. People are very slow to listen. They, or they don't listen at all. Quick to speak, quick to, quick to put something out on Facebook, quick to do all that, you know, quick to get angry. And I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but I think 2020 in Michigan in a, in a swing state with the election coming, it's going to be, there'll be mudslinging on both sides, all sides, ah, And if you inundate yourself with that, with our 24-7 news cycles, and what talking heads on on the channels telling us who to listen to, who to believe, what to believe, you know, putting their spin on it, if you do that constantly, it affects us. Maybe, just maybe, we need to talk less, listen more, listen more to God, be quick to listen, slow to speak. And I think Luke can help us as he begins to tell the the story of Jesus. I think he can help us in this ugly side of Christmas. Luke is the only gospel writer that that recounts the foretelling and the birth of John the Baptist. That's where he begins in telling the story of Jesus. He begins with John the Baptist of of, of all people. And he, he, he links John the Baptist's birth with Jesus' birth. Luke begins with the announcement that John would be born to Zechariah the father And then comes the announcement that Jesus is going to be born to to Mary. And then in between those is 
is the connection between Zechariah, Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, and Mary, who were cousins. Luke, Luke begins by, by telling this story uh, and, and saying that following their births, Zechariah offers a song of praise. And following Jesus' birth in Luke 2, the angels sing the song of praise. It, it seems like there's a clear pattern that Luke is trying to show of the, the parallels and contrasts between John and, and Jesus. The announcement of John, then the announcement of Jesus. The birth of John, then the birth of Jesus. Then the connection in between with, with Zechariah and Elizabeth. He wants the reader to compare and contrast John the Baptist and who Jesus is. For example, comparing them, both children are, are announced by the coming of the angel Gabriel. Both births are unnatural, uh, miraculous, really. And in both cases, the angel tells uh, Zechariah and, and Mary what to name the child. But more important than their similarities really are their contrasts. John was born to an aged, sterile mother. Jesus was born Virgin Mary. John was given the name that means means God is gracious. Jesus was given the name Savior. John was called to prepare the way. Jesus is the way. And remember, Luke is telling this story to a guy named Philopolis. And the... Theophilus, he calls them most excellent Theophilus. I've tried to get Carla to call me most excellent Rob, and so far I haven't had any luck in that at all. Paul used that term most excellent when he was referring to Felix in Acts 23 and Festus in Acts 26. More than likely, Theophilus was a, a Roman official. Some, some suppose that he was even possibly a, a, a wealthy relative of Caesar. There were others that suggested he was Paul's Roman lawyer. We don't know who exactly Theophilus was, but we do know what Luke was trying to tell him because he writes it. He says, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know with the certainty of the things you have been taught. What does Luke want Theophilus to know? Remember Theophilus, he's a Roman uh, official of some sort, of high standard, most excellent. And so it had been a very big leap for him to think that this poor Jewish rabbi born in a stable, raised by a carpenter, never really left that, that region of Galilee and Jerusalem, never went to Rome, never had an audience with Caesar, was executed as a criminal between two thieves. And this guy, this guy, this guy is the son of God? That would have been a big leap, but not a huge leap. Because Theophilus as a Roman would have known, would have known there were plenty of people, Caesar himself, who claimed to be a son of God. The real leap is that Luke is trying to build the case for Theophilus that Jesus isn't just a son of God. And Jesus isn't just one of many. But Jesus is the one and only. That Jesus is the, is the savior of the world. Not just the king of the Jews. He's the savior of the world. That includes the Romans, the Jews, everybody. For all ages, Theophilus, Caesar, you, me, everybody. So Luke begins by telling this story and to show that Jesus and the forerunner John the Baptist, they're, they're no ordinary people, that God Almighty has ordained and ordered their lives, their destinies, that God had a plan from the very, very beginning. Pastor, what does this have to do with the ugly side of Christmas? Hold on, hold on, hold on, I'm getting there. You gotta look at the story of John the Baptist and Zechariah, John the Baptist's daddy. Zechariah means Yahweh remembers. 
there were 32 Zacharias in the Old Testament, a very common name. And, 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 and Luke tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth were upright, righteous, well along in years. If the Bible says you're well along in years, you're old, my friend. You are very old. And we're also told that Zechariah was a priest. Religious workers were divided into two groups, Levites and, Levites and priests. All were descended from the tribe of Levi. The priests were descended from, from Moses' brother Aaron. The priests had special duties in the temple. They were divided into 24 groups. Zechariah, we're told by Luke, was in the division of, of Ibajah. That's the eighth in the order of, 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 of groups, of divisions. And each division was called to serve in the temple for a whole week, twice a year. And so the priests would gather for their week of service. Usually it would be about 50 a day, 300 in all would come every single week. And Luke tells us that Zechariah was chosen by Lot to go into the temple to burn incense at the altar of incense in the Holy of Holies. This would have been a really big deal for a priest. A huge, huge honor. In fact, since there were so many priests, once you were chosen to go in, that was it. You, were, you could only do that once in your lifetime. No, now Zechariah is really, really old. So, so that means he's been waiting for this moment his entire life. And every time he goes, twice a year, they pick a name. It's not his. And finally, finally on this day, they pick a name. It's his. He knew plenty of priests whose name was never chosen. It was him. He's the one. He gets to go in to the Holy of Holies, put the incense on the altar, and, the, and, the, and, and as the incense burns, he prays for the people. This is a big deal. So Zechariah goes in. He gets the incense. And in this once-in-a-lifetime happening, Luke tells us what happens next. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, he, of course he's going to be gripped with fear. Face to face with an angel. The angel says to him 12 different things. I've broken down what the angel says so we can look at him real quick. The angel first says, don't be afraid. It's not every day you come face to face with an angel. Don't be afraid. Second thing he says is your prayer has been heard. Sometimes we pray and pray and pray. We think that God doesn't hear, that God doesn't know. An angel is coming. Gabriel's coming saying, your prayer's been heard. Now, Zechariah is not going to believe it, but that's a whole other story. We're going to get there. He says, the third thing says, Elizabeth is going to have a son. Now, again, she was well, well, well past childbearing years, like Sarah in the Old Testament. Does she buy Geritol as her prenatal vitamins? I don't know, but she's old. Fourth thing he says, you're going to call the, name, the, the, the boy John. Not Zachariah Jr. His name's going to be John. I've already told you, John means God is gracious. That's really John the Baptist's message when you think about it. Later, when John grows, he's going to be saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent because we serve a gracious God, a forgiving God, a loving God. That's, that's, that's his whole purpose. God is gracious. The angel says he will be a joy and delight to you. A baby after all these years, joy and delight. Ah, he'll also be an early alarm clock, Zechariah. And there'll be some spit up on your robes. And just wait till he gets a little colicky. That'll be a laugh of a lifetime. I've th thought about it. You know, Carla and I hopefully aren't as old as Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're getting closer. You know, I don't know what it'd be like to have a baby. You know, grandchildren, if you're watching online in Kansas, that would be fine. But babies, for us, I'm not so sure. The sixth thing he says is, many will rejoice because of his birth. Can you imagine the rejoicing 
when Elizabeth started showing and her friends started knowing that she's going to have a baby. And remember, remember, we're told that they were righteous and upright. But you also remember that back in those days, they viewed if a woman was barren that she was cursed by God. So even though she was righteous and upright, you know how it is. You know how it works. Some of the ladies, some of the folks were whispering, hmm, how righteous and upright can she be? They don't have any kids. I wonder who sinned. Was it, was it, was it Zechariah? Was it Elizabeth? It had to be one of them. But now, she's they were rejoicing. You know, we have baby showers when Elizabeth had her baby. I imagine the whole town show, it was a baby blizzard. You know, everyone was there, and it was just a rejoicing. Number seven, he said, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Eighth thing, he says, he will never drink, take wine or other fermented drink. He used to be a Nazarite, not to be confused with the Nazarene. Nazarite was an order in the Old Testament. They didn't cut their hair. They didn't drink alcohol. They were consecrated to the Lord. That's who John the Baptist was to be. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Prior to Pentecost, there are very, very few people that, that the Bible describes as being filled with the Holy Spirit. A couple of prophets, a king or two. That's it. But John is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the very, very beginning, from birth. Tenth thing he says, many people of Israel will bring back, he will bring back to the Lord their God. Many, many people did. John was the forerunner of Jesus. He was out preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And many people turned their lives. Many people repented. He was drawing great crowds. He would think of him as the Billy Graham 1900 years before Billy Graham. That's who John the Baptist was. And he says, he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. John the Baptist is fulfilling the prophecy of of Malachi. And Jesus points to that in in Matthew 17. He says, yeah, that's what's going on here. John the Baptist's forerunner. And finally, the angel says, he is going to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John sees himself as fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy, a voice of one calling in the desert. He has come to prepare the way for the Lord. The kingdom of God is at hand. The Messiah is coming. Whew, that would have been quite a message for Zechariah to hear. Imagine how Zechariah felt with all this, his first time in the, the only time, once in a lifetime, in the Holy of Holies. He meets this angel, and the angel gives him all this news. If I were Zechariah, my head would be spinning just because of the opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies. And then he comes face to face with Gabriel with all of this stuff. Gabriel says, you're going to have a, boy, a baby. Huh? Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? You know, never change a diaper in my life. It's going to be a boy. Boy, we can have a gender reveal party 1,900 years before they invented the ultrasound. This is awesome. It's going, to be, it's going to be the forerunner of the Lord. The Messiah is coming. We've been praying for this for centuries and centuries. You're telling me the Messiah's on the way. That's a lot to take in. I guess what I'm saying is maybe we should cut Zechariah a little bit of slack. That's a lot to process. So the first quote in the book of of Luke by a human being, not an angel, is Zechariah, and he says this, how can I be sure? I'm an old man, my wife is well along in years. Excuse me, Mr. Angel, you know a lot of things about a lot of things, but that ship has sailed. And the angel says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news, you big bozo. That's my injunction there. And now you will be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Oh, boy, poor Zechariah. You haven't forgot what, we're, what our lesson is today. Less talk, more listening. Boy, I wish he would have got that. He should have been here in this sermon. Zechariah, how can this happen? He says to, to the how can this happen? Remember, 
Luke is comparing and contrasting John's birth, Jesus' birth. And Zechariah says, how in the world can this happen? Impossible. We're old. Impossible. That was a big contrast to when, when Gabriel went to Mary. You know, a few months later, he's going to show up at Mary's doorstep, and he's going to say, hey, Virgin Mary, guess what? You're going to have a baby. And Mary's response was not like Zechariah's response. Her response isn't, how can this happen? No way. Her response is, how will this happen? It's going to happen. I know that. Never heard of anything. How will this happen? And then she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be as what you have said. See, Mary's faith is, is simple. Hers is, is obedient. Hers is willing. Zachariah, he's been around the block. He knew how the world works. That's not the way things happen. How can this happen? And for his questioning, Gabriel says, you can't speak. Man, oh man, I got some people I wish Zachariah would visit in Ohio today. That'd be awesome. I got a few folks I wish you'd visited in Washington, D.C., and there may even be a few folks around here. For the first time in his life, Zechariah has something really important to say, and he can't say it. I mean, for the first time, he's got the news, the best news. Can't speak. Talk less, listen more. I know Zechariah's was a forced silence. You know, lesson one, don't, don't get on an angel's bad side. But Solomon said this, there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot. And he goes on and on, and, he, and eventually he says this, a time to be silent and a time to speak. Frequently, I'll use that passage at funerals, a time to be born, a time to die. I use that uh, quite a bit. And if the person had been married a long time, you know, 50 years or so, I'll say something like, like, and you can't be married 50 years without knowing the truth of Solomon's words, a time to be silent and a time to speak. And usually, you know, it gets a little chuckle. But the truth is, there is a time to be silent and a time to speak. And during this Advent season, we are to wait, wait, wait for the coming of the, of the baby boy, just as we are wait, wait, waiting for the second Advent, Jesus is coming again. And there's a lot of truth in Lamentations 3 that says the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. There is something to be said about quieting ourselves before the Lord. The psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. Wait quietly. Ah, that's so hard to do in our noisy world. This week, Carla and her mom and I went to see the new Mr. Rogers movie. This is, I, I don't have to give you a spoiler alert, but there's a section in the movie where they're quiet, where everyone is quiet for a whole minute. It's, it's quiet, and, and the, the whole place, you know, the theater's quiet, the screen is quiet, everybody's quiet. Well, we had went on Thanksgiving afternoon. We had just had a big Thanksgiving dinner, and my stomach decided not to be quiet during the quiet time. So we're all quiet in this theater, and my stomach's... Carla looked at me, and it's like, what in the world? I said, I think, I think my stomach is saying, what a good meal I had. I just wish it would have said it later, I don't know. 
it's, it's hard to settle ourselves down. That's my point. We are constantly bombarded by messages on TV, or on the radio, in our earbuds, and the music. We hear nonstop noise, always chatter, 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 chatter. And, and the Bible is saying that there's a point. There's, a, there's sometimes we just need to quiet ourselves, be still. Jesus did that a lot. Luke says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. And if we want to be a Christ-like disciple, that's what we say our mission is. We want to make more Christ-like disciples. If we want to be like Jesus, then it seems that we would do the same. That we would find, uh, we would carve out some time when we can quiet ourselves before the Lord. Block out the noise that is so inundating us. And being quiet, less noise, more quiet. Less talk, more listening. Less junk of Christmas, more the Savior, the purpose of Christmas. Does that make sense? One of my favorite stories is one that Paul Harvey told. It's about a man, an old man, and a bucket of shrimp. It seemed this old man would do just that. He would quiet himself and take a bucket of shrimp and walk out on a pier on Florida, in Florida every, every Friday, faithfully, faithfully. Just him. Jesus went to, often went to lonely places to pray. Just him on a Florida pier. That doesn't sound too bad right now. The shrimp wasn't for him. It was for the seagulls. And, and it wouldn't take long because he'd been doing this 50 years. The birds knew and they would just flock literally to him and the sky would be full of them and it would only take less than a half an hour for him to empty out the big bucket of shrimp. Why would an old guy go every single Friday with a bucket of shrimp to feed seagulls? His name was Eddie Rickenbacker. In World War I, Eddie Rickenbacker was a flying ace. In fact, he had more aerial uh, victories than anyone else. He was awarded the Medal of Honor. They called him back into service in World War II, and if you were alive back in, in, in 1942, you would have heard the news. It was big news across our country that Eddie Rickenbacker and his crew were lost at sea. He had been given a, a, a mission to, to deliver a message to Douglas MacArthur, General Douglas MacArthur, and he picked a hand-picked crew, and they flew on a B-17 known as the Flying Fortress, and they were making their way across the Pacific when they got lost. They ran out of fuel. They went down. All of the crew members were, were escaped to, to, to rafts, and they were just adrift in the middle of they didn't know where. They had to battle the weather, the sun, the, the sharks, water, and they battled hunger. After they had been adrift for about eight days, their, their rations, their meager rations, had all been spent. They didn't know what to do. For them to survive, it was going to take a miracle. And a miracle happened. They'd had a little prayer service where Eddie was leading this prayer service among the eight guys as they're floating in the middle of the Pacific. And then they, they decided to take a rest. And so Eddie had his hat over his face like you would do trying to protect yourself from the sun. And he says he doesn't know how he knew, but, but something landed on his head. He knew it was a seagull. And that seagull meant one thing, food, if you could catch it. Well, he did catch it. And they, they ate the flesh for food, and they used the intestines for bait, and they, were able, and they were spared. They were rescued after 24 days. And so, ever since then, Eddie, why, why in the world would a seagull be hundreds and hundreds of miles from any, any land? In Eddie's mind, only the Lord knew that. And so, after he got out, 
he made a commitment that on every Friday, with a bucket full of shrimp, he would go out and thank the Lord for his rescue. A bucket full of shrimp, a heart full of thanks. He got away from all the noise, just him and the seagulls and the, and the Lord and gratefulness. Have you ever noticed how many times it takes some kind of remarkable event to force us to quiet ourselves before the Lord? For Rickenbacker, it was adrift at sea for 24 days. For Zechariah, it was doubting the angel Gabriel. I know so many people, it takes, you know, a death in the family or a, or a terrible sickness or marriage in trouble or, or a kid making terrible choices. Let's not wait till then. I know we're about to enter into the most busy time of the year. Andy Williams, not our Andy Williams, who attends church in the second service and sits over there, but Andy Williams, the singer, he, 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 he would say it's the most wonderful time of the year, and it is many ways, but it's also the busiest time of the year. So what if we slowed down? What if we intentionally carved out time to spend with the Lord, to listen, to be still, to wait? Less talk, more listen. Do you remember the story of Elijah in the Old Testament? Elijah had just defeated the 400 prophets of Baal. It was this big, huge victory. And Jezebel, the queen, was upset about it. In fact, she, she put a, a contract, if you will, out on Elijah. She was going to have him dead. And usually what Jezebel got or wanted, Jezebel got. And so Elijah was running for his life. And he was scared and he was afraid and he was somewhat depressed. He'd just come off this huge victory. But now, you know, it looked like his life was going to be over very, very soon because Jezebel got what Jezebel wanted. And, and the Lord came to him and said, Elijah, go out on the mountain. I'm going to come and visit you. And so you remember that story. So Elijah went out to, to this mountain, and, and the Bible says that there was a huge wind that came by, and then an earthquake and a fire. And then, then, then a, a gentle whisper, and this is what the Bible says. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave, and the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? To hear the whisper of the Lord... You have to quiet yourself down. Be still. Wait. Listen. And at the right time, at the perfect time, you'll hear from the Lord. He's faithful. But we need to quiet ourselves. We need to listen. More than our time in the mall or in our time uh, decorating or in our time planning parties, we need to spend time with you. Help us, Lord, to settle ourselves down to be still and know that you are God, to quietly wait upon you, to find our lonely place, and to meet with Jesus. That's what we need. We want to meet with Jesus. Help us all to do that, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.